Well, hello. Okay. Um, we are in for a very exciting episode because I will be hosting this episode because it is my episode, and I'm very I'm looking forward to it because a two and a half hour stretch where I get to talk about myself is I mean there's nothing more exciting and appealing to me. So um, brace yourselves Can right we now, listeners. Two and a half hours. Well, ho- however long it ends up. The, la- the, la- the last one was two and a half hours. And that, that's For Samir, I can do an hour tops. And an so hour tops. Leave it. That's understandable. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. 35 minutes. Um, but obviously, before we delve into the meat of this episode, like we've been doing, um, we have some thoughts about some news this week and some upcoming releases, especially one movie that we all got to see. Um, so we'll talk about that for a little bit. We're going to talk about a crazy idea I had in a dream last night for a movie. And I've got this whole movie concept uh, figured out. So I'm going to I'm gonna try it out. I'm going to pitch it to the film bros. I'm going to take their criticism. I'm excited. And I will... I'm excited for Samir just to... For Samir, just to describe the plot of Groundhog Day and just like be like, but like, what if he wakes up and it's the same day over and over and over again? It's, I mean, I don't know. That's part of the reason. Like, I want to pitch it just to make sure this isn't already a movie because then I'm going to be dejected for the rest of the week. But because Sam, you stole my joke. I was gonna, when Samir asked us if we had any ideas of our own, I was gonna say, like, all right, guys, so there's a stand up comedian, right? But instead of everyone laughing at his jokes, they just think he's the joke. It's like he wants to be the king of comedy, but he's just like a joker or something. <laughs> but I'm sure your idea is better than that. Eh, well, you'll see. It's eerily similar. Um, I think that. We, <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to steal your thunder. Well, by making that, you know, that we have a great episode joke. planned, is what I'm saying. And without delaying any second of it and wasting our time and our sweet, faithful, loyal listeners' time, let's get right into it. So this is Don't Hate Us. For the last time, it is going to be uh, Don't Hate Us, but we started a movie podcast with your host, Samir, the lovely Corey Stillman, the lovely Sam Mary Callio, and the loveliest Dane Holtz. So Thank you. Dane Holtz, everyone. Give it up for Dane. Give it up for Dane. Let's what go. Can I say? So boys, we today, love to see this week, at some point, we watched Mank. We have some thoughts on Mank. So I think Corey might have seen it the first out of all of us. So I'm gonna let him kind of have the floor and That's pick shocking. out some thoughts on Mank. Uh, yeah. I mean, luckily, like this doesn't feel like it's an unpopular opinion anymore. But I think it's. I'll speak for myself, and I think pretty much all of us uh, when I say it really wasn't that great of a movie. I think it was one of the most hyped up films of 2020, and just in terms of its subject matter and the the names attached to it, like David Fincher, Gary Oldman. I think a lot of people thought this was a huge Oscar contender, maybe the contender for the best movie of the year. Uh, and especially in a year, you know, deprived of releases. Like I thought that was, it was very exciting when it was coming out, but I was very disappointed in this movie, which again, honestly is starting to seem like kind of the, the theme amongst a lot, a lot of uh, viewers, although there are people who are really, really passionate about it. Yeah, I just sort of it. felt, yeah, exactly. And I think it's because it's about Hollywood and like, I mean, I love movies about Hollywood, right? But that was sort of my thing is I felt like this movie didn't really, like it evoked an aesthetic of of Hollywood that was really cool and really effective and really well done, but I don't know if it evoked like the moment. I don't know, like through its script and through its actual plot. I don't know if it 
really did a good job of of uh doing the story any justice but even doing its its setting and its its broader uh yeah its, its setting any justice it's just boring like it was just <laughs> yeah. a boring it was just a boring movie like i and it, i don't even think it does anything really egregiously bad like someone could argue that like the the historical truthfulness of it is egregiously bad but to me like which that's when it's all said and done yeah you know Corey's always him and his revisionist revisionist history (laughs) um and like i think there are like there's things to like about make uh gary oldman gives a pretty great performance i don't think anyone would argue against that it's just yeah, yeah Manda, is, is uh, movie, I thought. And it, yeah, she, it also looks really pretty as like a black and yeah. white movie. It's just so like easy on the eyes. And when I love the, the, the audio filmography sound. is very. Yeah, yeah, it's very it's very akin back to obviously Citizen Kane. It, it evokes a lot of memories, and a lot of the transitional elements of the movie are similar. But at the end of the day, this movie was just not very interesting. Like I just found myself being like. And what's going to happen next? Like, what's the big revelation that's going to make me care about what happens? And it just never came. And I ended the movie just being like, I don't even really know what just happened. Like, and not like a, oh my God, like a tenant, like what the fuck just happened type thing. It was like a, did any of that really matter? Which is so strange, especially coming from David Fincher. I feel like he's kind of the king of, of sticking the ending. So... Um, what yeah. is yeah. what is interesting is that I recently like in relation to this movie I read this theory that some guy had I forget where that it's like directors like who are auteur directors in the past have this kind of tendency to like like once they've made enough films like really fall in love with like one specific thing and they just get so like passion and like wrapped up in that maybe it's a person or a specific event that happened and like they the just Spielberg really want to make a movie out of it, and they like they almost in that like passion forget how to translate it to audiences because they forget that an audience may not feel the same way about it as them. Um, like I'm trying to think. Yeah, like, it's like May. Well, it's like Spielberg and all all of yeah, his 2010 so, yeah, releases exactly. are are very very specific to it, and if you're into that time of history and that procedural exactly. type of movie you might love it yeah decided but i think man. that's what speaks to this movie's failure so much and i think we kind of discussed this just amongst ourselves but like it is true that there are a lot of audiences that won't give a fuck about the history of citizen kane a movie that a lot of them probably haven't seen or even just 1920s hollywood as a whole that might not really intrigue them uh and yet i i love that shit i like i i really admire and respect orson wells i really love this era of hollywood this movie is right up my alley in that sense and i still felt that it failed uh again just by not actually doing any uh any justice by its source material and i I think that kind of speaks to like kind of what you're saying still like fincher um probably felt the the pull between those two spheres and as as a result ended up satisfying neither yeah even though like i feel like so this is something else that the article was saying that it was like the one biggest shining example of that time when it's like something that like not a lot of audiences may know about or even particularly care about, but it still turned out to be a super successful film is Dunkirk in that it's like, like at least for American audiences, it's like a battle. Okay. They may have heard of, but they're not constantly dwelling upon it, but like 
I think Nolan made like a film with Dunkirk that like really got like, you know, like people who had like not even like don't know anything about World War Two excited about it just because of its like sheer cinematic prowess. I just don't know if Mank brings enough to the table in that regard. That's a good example, actually. That's, that that yeah, that really helped kind of clarify that argument. I agree. <laughs> I think we're, we're all unanimous on how we feel about Mank, so there's probably not much more to say in this department. In terms of the releases that are coming out, um, maybe Dane or Corey could speak to that. But not Sam. But not Sam. Yeah, Dan, I don't know if you had any superhero news you wanted to include on, on this week's episode, but um, the big release I'm excited for is tomorrow night. I guess you know by the time this this podcast releases, we'll have gotten it. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom on Netflix. Uh, and I know you know Samir was talking about this earlier. It's another adaptation of an August Wilson play. Denzel Washington doesn't star in this one, but he does produce it. He he loves August Wilson. He loves Pittsburgh. He likes going back there to shoot. This one takes place in Chicago, but it's still set in Pittsburgh. It's also notable because it's Chadwick Boseman's final film. Also stars Viola Davis, but none of those people are even as important as one other yeah, person not who nearly. appear in the credits. Yeah, so if you look really closely in the credits, make sure you. Um, it'll probably take at least five ten minutes into the credits, but look really closely at the fine print. You'll see um, a casting assistant at some point. I'm hoping, unless they for me they got. But uh, <laughs> you'll see my name. You'll see Corey Stillman in there under under a casting uh, assistant. I spent uh, time recruiting. Uh, citizens of Pittsburgh in the Hill District as well as the North Side to be extras in this film. I would literally walk up to them with measuring tape and a whiteboard where I had to write down their name and info, and I would just be like, you want to be in a movie? And most people were like, dude, you shouldn't be here. <laughs> because, I mean, those obviously aren't the, the safest areas of Pittsburgh, and, um, that, like, you know, they would just say, like, dude, like, you really should get out of here. And I'd be like, no, I'm just working, man. Don't worry. I made a lot of friends that day. It was pretty cool, but I'm I'm, I'm excited to look in the background of scenes in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom more than I am the foreground. And there you have it. One of our mediocre film bros turns out, in fact, to not be so mediocre after all. Already extra you know, extraordinary making, making actually. friendships with Hollywood bigwigs. And I should announce that one of the other mediocre film bros is also smooching up to bigwig Hollywood execs. Um, but there's more details on that to come. But there are big things <laughs> under wraps. And do not be surprised if Steven Spielberg joins in on a very special episode, no promises, <laughs> but it can happen. That's all I'm going to say. I think, I mean, that that is the, the going expectation right now. I think <laughs> anything less than that would be deemed this podcast would be a huge failure. I feel like we've never even teased Matt and Alex Wolf on this yeah, podcast, no. <laughs> but all of a sudden we're teasing Steven Spielberg. Well, I did, I did name drop that I was starting a podcast, and they completely left me on red, so I'm too scared <laughs> to bring it up again. I'm not going to lie. In the back of my mind, I always had this idea that they might have been listening. Like, I was always like, there's a chance that they've just heard my voice a few times, <laughs> but they made sure that's not the yeah. case. They, no, they Alex made sure. Listen to one of them. Let him listen to the Pixar one, yeah. at least. <laughs> yeah. The one without Corey. Good call. Yeah, I was going to say, there's only one that I would rather him avoid. Oh, speaking of um, <laughs> Pixar, we should probably also give a brief mention to Soul, which is coming out soon, right? When does yeah, that? Yeah, I, uh, I believe Soul and Wonder Woman both come out on Christmas Day. Oh, uh, December 25th, Woman, you are correct. Critics hated yeah. it. Did you guys see that? Yeah, Soul's not speaking of Wonder, Wonder Woman. I didn't, no, like, we're talking about Wonder Woman. Like, I'm talking oh, about Wonder Woman 1984, 
like all the uh, critics I follow on Twitter were like, this movie is not just bad. It is devastating for like a number of reasons. Um, I don't, I don't know. That's that, not but... good. See, that that's interesting because I saw the majority of the ones I saw were, were pretty positive. Um, why, with, I, I wonder why I they released the first three minutes on YouTube. Yeah. I, I didn't watch, but then Did I watched really? the first three minutes. No, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, think, my... um, I mean, I, I, I always thought I mean, Gal Gadot is a really bad actress. She's, she's. Um. Well, we were talking about Soul, and did we find a release date for that? I'm pretty sure it's Christmas. Yeah, yeah, Christmas. Christmas. I'm excited it is, to watch it is that. Christmas. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I thought Soul was in that same boat where it's not getting panned by any means, but it's not getting the kind of all-time great yeah. status that a lot of us seem to be expecting for it. Yeah, it's getting very uh like lukewarm reviews wait yeah. it's got an 80 guys it's got an eight it's getting an 88 on metacritic it's getting very good reviews you can't look at the that number i mean you got to read the individual reviews a lot of individual reviews are are at least oh, the, i'm sorry you, yeah. to, i mean you you guys are the ones that did your pixar tier list right like every pixar movie inevitably gets stacked up against one another and um they're saying soul really doesn't hold up within like the larger pixar body of work yeah which is surprising I, I i thought on the based on the trailer at least from like yeah, a visual trailer, perspective, it was yeah, going to be by far the best. And like at the beginning, Corey, I think I remember because I think you were the one that was like, maybe you had read a review about this or something, but um, at least somebody called it like one of the best Pixar movies ever. Like definitely like early on, which is weird. That was the, that seemed to be the expectation for it. Like I, like that was a a very possible reality for it just based upon that trailer and the buzz it was getting. Um. But yeah, so that is another big release. Uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Are we missing anything in terms of what's coming out? Not really. Not it's really. Been yeah, movies, movies. Yeah, let's, it's been. Let's get into your screenplay, movies. Samir. Huh? Another movie. That I'm not sure when we're gonna get a chance to get our hands on it, but you know what? What else is fun right now is that a lot of Academy screeners are are making their way around. So a lot of critics are just talking about a lot of 2020 movies. And I don't know if you guys heard anything about this promising young woman with Carrie Mulligan. Yeah, uh, it's... but. Harry Mulligan's getting a lot of buzz for uh, Best Actress attention, and the movie the movie looked like it was just kind of like a pulpy, fun, uh, sort of like revenge thriller, but it's getting buzz yeah, as like a genuine funny. Oscar contender. So I don't know when we're gonna get a, get a chance to look at it, but it looks very good. I'm also I'm really upset that um we didn't get the Green Knight. It's like keeping with A24, everyone's raving about Minari. Like the new A24. Oh, uh, Minari's another one I really want to see. About like yeah. the co- Korean family. Trust me, last night I looked for like an hour to see if it's available anywhere and it's not. Reddit for once. That and Nomadland. Yeah, I was actually that and Nomadland are really good. Cool. Yeah, Nomadland. Well, that's getting a February before. release now. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Minari it was like slated for December. Well, yeah, it, it technically had a virtual release, but the tickets sold out uh, like almost immediately. Yeah, well, we. Damn it. I was gonna go in to say that Chloe Zhao, who is directing Nomad's Land, Nomadland, is also directing and help write the Eternals. Um, so I think we should move on unless Sam really wants me to start talking okay. about. Okay, I'm gonna get one jab. <laughs> Please, in dear here. God, that was a threat. Please that wasn't even. That wasn't news. Just, that was a just threat. To inflate yeah, that was a bubble threat. just a little bit. You can you can start off with what you were gonna say, but I just want you to address this. There are many Twitter users, you may call them assholes, who are saying that someone like Chloe Zhao, or maybe I'm pronouncing that wrong, but if someone of her potential might be wasting her time on something like Eternals, 
But then there's another group of people saying, like, what's wrong with her getting the Marvel kind of paycheck and using that money to make other movies? Well, so I just wanted to hear your stance on that. What's interesting, um, I could try and find an article about it, but someone, she was interviewed about Nomadland, <laughs> and they asked her about the Eternals, and she actually reached out to Marvel about directing the movie and how she really um, wanted to direct some type of team movie. Um, but I can't, I don't know what the exact quote was or what she said exactly, but I'm pretty sure she reached out to them about directing a picture. Yeah. I've, I've an opinion on this too, cause I've thought about this a lot. I mean, it's, it's weird that Marvel movies are sort of a, you know, a fill in the blank type and you can kind of like, it's a clear formula and you can just kind of turn them out. And yet there's no denying that Marvel's worked with a really fun and eclectic group of directors. I mean, you got Taika Waititi. You're going to have Chloe Zhao. Um, you're going to have Nia DaCosta directing Captain Marvel 2. And she's a, like a young, interesting kind of indie filmmaker. Uh, you had Destin Daniel Cretton, who's made Short Term 12 and Just Mercy. Very like social impact type dramas. And now he's going to direct Shang-Chi. So they've been working with, and they ha- are starting even more so work. Yeah, yeah Pat, well, Patty Jenkins is DC. DC. But yeah, she... Uh, and then, I mean, you could even even could mention... Um, like uh, Anna Boden and Ryan mm-hmm. Fleck, who you know, we talked about on my episode, directed Half Nelson, and they directed the first Captain Marvel. A lot of really interesting directors have worked with them. And yes, they're I mean, Ryan Coogler. I'm sorry, I'll stop listening to them. But, you know, they... God they, damn uh, it, guys. <laughs> they, they, these directors, like, like, their movies definitely feel more like Marvel movies. They're not as stylistic as some of their personal efforts. But I think it, it is sort of the, the latter. Like what you said, Samir, is that there's no denying that it's helped their careers and help them make more movies and bigger movies. And there is, there are small stylistic flares that I think is part of what makes these Marvel movies successful. Yeah. I, I actually, I found her that was quote, a long winded answer. I found her quote and she said that she grew up with manga and that her initial uh, dream was to be a, a manga artist. And when she started to get into film, she thought um, she would love to work with, marvel studios and she kind of put her name out there to work work with them and they reached out to her and uh she also said she is really interested with like the team perspective and world building which definitely plays into eternals because eternals is kind of outside the realm of what marvel has done before at least from what they're saying so i'm pretty excited for that movie i think it's going to be kind of like a guardians of the galaxy definitely a, a step in the wilder more creative direction for marvel with that and without any further ado let's jump into the meat of this episode <clears throat> which is me a topic that i hopefully am meat. very well <laughs> a topic that i'm hopefully very well versed on um so i'll start with saying this uh i think sam kind of left out for a second nope, i'm gonna nope. wait for him Sam, can you hear me at least? Yeah. You can hear yep, me? I'm back. Sorry. Okay, I can't yeah, I can see. Okay, I'll, I'll wait for your... Okay. Um, these three movies, to me, mean a lot. I really do love all three of these movies. Um, and I'll start with the idea I had and the approach that I was going to go. So, obviously, we have our little Secret Santa theme, but... I was toying around with not playing Secret Santa, and I was toying around with playing Saw instead. And by that, I mean, I was thinking of picking one movie that 
maybe none of you would like, but for sure one of you would specifically hate. So, like, it would be one movie for <laughs> each of you knowing. Be like, I wasn't gonna do the premise. <laughs> yeah, knowing each of like everybody's likes and dislikes, I was gonna be like, okay, I think I know Corey and Dane and Sam well enough to know of our hours. what exactly that they hate. Um, but then I was like, you know what? Now nah, I'm gonna go the traditional approach and pick one movie which I figured would be kind of universally panned. And then two movies, which were probably more safe bets. I feel like we've done that in the past um, with Bronson in Brazil. Um, so, I mean, maybe we will get into what movie you guys think that is, but I think everyone knows. Um, so those my three movies for this here. week, which you guys watched, were Mutual Appreciation, A Separation, and Amores Peros. Um, we can go in any order you want, but the order that I suggest is mutual appreciation a separation of Maurice Sparrows? Are you guys cool like with that. that? Or unless you had a different order? I can agree. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. That sounds okay. I think okay. mutual appreciation so, first is good. Yeah. Mutual appreciation. So for mutual appreciation, this is the only movie of the three that I prepared some words about. So it'll be a speech, but before you guys let it rain on me, I um I wanted to read what I wrote at least, at least. Okay. I think that's important. I, I, we deserve that. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So this is what I have. <clears throat> Mutual appreciation for all of our listeners and uh, to our, to my fellow podcast bros. To me, this movie is cream of the crop mind-blowing like genius level work and i say that having seen wojalski's other work and all of the work this movie supposedly tries to imitate including woody allen cassavetes etc the reason this movie is nuts and an all-time favorite of mine is because there's a distinction that we're all silently aware of between real life movies tv whatever the way people talk in movies slash tv slash whatever for the most part is sanitized and is a deliberate and generally even when a writer tries to create naturalistic dialogue the fact that it's an attempt is still pretty clear. Most of the time, it sounds, looks, and feels like an extract of reality. In this movie, there is no extract. All of the raw crudities, all of the unrefined portions, the ums, the awkward pauses, the brain farts, the lame jokes that were funnier in your head and get no laughs, the comments that come off as much more harsh and critical than you intended them to be, the weird nonsense that you accidentally blurt, the half-baked unfinished thoughts. In this movie, all these impurities make the cut. Yet none of it is improvised. It was all written. I'm sure all of us at some point in life have tried writing and have probably tried writing dialogue. I'm sure we all know how hard it is to write the way real people talk, even though we talk every day. It's one of the super fascinating and like weird things about language and writing and how the two interact. It is surprisingly, extremely difficult to write real people. Somehow, Andrew Budalski, the writer-director um, and also a character in this film, mimics the exact rhythm and tempo of real life. The fact that none of this dialogue was improvised and this was all written blows my mind. Like he was actually playing out these convos in his head, like sitting down somewhere. There are slice of lifestyle movies and lifestyle porn movies, but in my opinion, none of those even come close to describing what is going on here. To me, this is like just as jaw-dropping as seeing someone paint a scarily lifelike portrait that you can't separate at all from a photograph. Like the rhythm of hearing people talk over each other, interrupt, awkward joke, pause for three seconds, everyone talks at the same time, pause again. It's like hearing a musical piece where every note is dead accurate. Outside of that, and on a personal note, I think this movie is hilarious and completely my kind of humor where it's so like reliant on um, 
<clears throat> timing and awkwardness and like subtle facial expressions and like throwaway half lines. Um, I think it's always sunny in Philadelphia also kind of has that same humor. Um, so this movie is charming and I really did enjoy that tiny plot that did exist in the movie. Believe me, I'm someone that gets bored by movies and other things really, really easily. It's weird because I imagine many people, I imagine many people found this movie like extremely boring. But for me, I was attentive and intrigued throughout. Um, weirdly enough, I surround myself with people like these characters, especially the main character. And for whatever reason, I'm drawn to them. I can't really describe it further than that. This movie feels like a Sunday evening at your apartment when you're tired and still kind of hungover from the previous night. Your roommate's friends are here and won't fucking leave. The microwave is beeping. Everyone's in the living room just not saying shit. And people are strumming on guitars. I don't know. As someone that likes to pay attention to performances, I truly cannot see a single crack in any performance except maybe the dad character. The fact that this entire movie wasn't just hidden camera footage or a big blooper reel is mind-blowing to me. The fact that these people are actually reading lines and are actually aware of a camera's presence is mind-blowing to me. Letterboxd hates this movie, um, though that's not the only ruling on it. Critics loved it upon its release. Despite that, I expect many people to take away from this movie. These are just boring New Yorkers and the movie has nothing to say or offer, but I feel just the opposite. Though I'm very rarely a the style is the substance kind of guy, I'm in awe of the detail, subtleties, and textures that is in every second of this film. After having seen all of Budalski's filmography and most of the Mumblecore canon, this is by far my favorite because the second one, uh, the, because from the second one, it really feels like it's hitting every note in a Guitar Hero performance. When I watch movies, I ask a lot of questions about the plot, and a lot of times I'm like late to understanding what's actually happening. Many of my friends are always confused by this because they're like, you're the movie guy, how are you this fucking terrible at watching movies? And I think it's because I tend to watch movies passively. Going head on into the narrative is like kind of hard for me, but one thing I can say is that I know very early on, on that rare occasion when everything just clicks, even if I don't know <laughs> plot-wise what's happening. It's a rare feeling, but it's a great one, and mutual appreciations for me is one of those rarities. And with that, I'm going to stop yapping and let you guys <laughs> bring it on me. Um, Sam? Samir, I wish this... I, I, I frankly wish this movie was even a fucking 100th as good as the speech you just gave. That was yeah. That was very well written. You wrote something better was, than anyone who's ever that, written in that movie. <laughs> that was that was be- that was better than literally every scene in this movie by fucking an in- infinite amount. Samir, I love you. Let let it be known. Like I will when when I'm roasting the movies Corey doesn't like, it's because I dislike him as a person. <laughs> let I wanted to be on. I wanted to be on the record. That I think so highly of Samir as a person and as a movie, like a movie lover. Samir, this is one of the fucking most boring movies I've ever watched. And I, I, Corey and I talked briefly about this. I think, I, I do agree that like the, the way that it comes off so genuine with the dialogue is really, really cool to a certain extent but what it, what this movie really told me and why I think it's an important movie for people to watch regardless if you don't like it or like it is because I literally at this moment went okay normal life conversations shouldn't be in movies because it just came off a cr- like I just was like what the fuck is the it's like I the the seven minute long tangents that we do on this podcast that no one cares about this movie dives deep into those kind of like podcasts and I just sat there and was just I I mean I'll let I'll let Corey and Dane get into it a little bit more about them 
but I really, at some point, talking about this movie, really want to talk about the main character, because I don't think I've disliked the main character more in a very long time than the mutual appreciation main character. I think Alan is a fucking... He's literally the Thomas Middletich from Silicon Valley, except infinitely more annoying and infinitely more whiny. I just, like... Could not. Yeah, that was the, that was the part of him. Samir's speech that stuck out to me because Samir again. I thought I think like look, movies are different for everyone, and I I actually really admire a lot of what you had to say there, and I respect it. But I will say like I'm a little worried for the people you're hanging out with when you're not on this podcast because you mentioned that the people in this film remind you a lot of the people you associate with, and and I'm with Sam. I thought yes, technically speaking, was the dialogue very natural and very uh familiar and realistic sure but it was being delivered by and it was contextualized by some of the most insufferable characters i've ever met in in a in a movie and what's awful about that is that it's not like the movie is like like i've i've met insufferable characters and thoroughly enjoyed the films that they're in but somehow these are like these are us like the movie wants you so badly to to, to look at it and marvel at the realist at the realistic feeling of it and i the whole time i was like this is what their reality is like this is their this is like andrew bilgowski's notion of like what real life is because these guys fucking suck and they're and they're so <laughs> uninteresting like like i like i'm sure our, our conversations are boring and uninteresting and um would not make for a good movie but he like it's almost like each line of this movie made sure to be as uninteresting as possible to to it like i feel like <laughs> this it tried to avoid meaning whenever possible and avoid uh impact whenever possible just in service of this notion of realism and that's just like i mean come on like i'm all for realistic dialogue and there are movies that strike that balance between like building drama and like making for a compelling film and realism and sure they're sacrificing probably a little bit of realism in in achieving that balance but this movie is just like in order to be realistic we've just decided that uh this has to be absolutely painful and brutal to watch for everyone involved and that's that's not a that's not worth it the question I have, and I know Sam wanted to talk about this too. Um, Dane hasn't said a word yet, but what specifically did you not like about the main characters? I'm just curious to know. In terms of things, there's one thing that really stuck out to me when he when he first meets yeah, yeah, um, the, the his uh the girl he's talking to me. He meets her brother and is talking about dr- about drumming. I felt the way that he so he goes, oh yeah, like, I don't want you know. He's explaining how he doesn't want a drummer who's like too artistic, and he's saying how he. Uh, how he wants things he's very particular and i don't know i guess there's something about it that we're supposed to find um to, yeah, yeah, again to be real but i'm like you just come across as like a pretentious asshole i'm like you just sound so up your own ass and like i guess he is like this like new york brooklynite you know kind of well off like college grad is trying to figure his life out so again maybe that's, that's very real like that's super true like, like you suck you just suck and i think that's like what you feel and I guess what I'm saying is that, yeah, that's true. That's like, that was my reaction. But like, if you take a half a step back, even that's how I feel talking to people in general. Like I'll be in like a basement and some oh douchebag God, will come up to me talking about like his drum solo. And I'll be like, God, you are so goddamn annoying. But for some reason on the screen, like seeing that is like, for me, was just like, holy crap. Like, Damn, like this is exactly how some of these assholes are. Um, so I mean, like 
Instagram, when I say I that agree, I'm like drawn you, to it, you, go ahead. If you if you find people annoying normally, then maybe watching this movie is cathartic because they're annoying as shit. But I just like, I just like don't. I just like if if I'm gonna spend this movie is is pretty long too. I think we can all admit that this movie runs. Even at even if you love this movie, this movie does run about thirty minutes too long, past it should running. Like if I'm sitting there for two hours, and like the main character is unlikable, like he is, like I at least want shit to happen, and shit just doesn't fucking happen. And you know, I could blab, I could blab my ear off. I've I've shit on copious amounts of movies, but I think the really biggest important thing. Is we get Dane's opinion? Yeah, on we'll this let movie, Dane talk. Dane hasn't. Which said. is, <laughs> yeah, the, I want to hear. From, I, I have. Is, I have. Like, which, I want to go is, on with my own little little uh, explanation as to what I, because I've been a little harsh. I want to. I want to give a thorough answer, but I want to hear from Dane too, because Dane's our optimist. So let's see. What okay, he so, dude, I don't know. <laughs> um, I try to be as <laughs> say posi- it, Dane. I try say to it, be Dane. as positive as possible. No. no. But did, did, he's he's being honest. I did not like this. I I did I <laughs> I honestly I tried really hard throughout the first half hour to really connect what was happening on screen. And granted, yes, I I thought the script and the writing was it's it's impressive. Like it's very realistic, but I do not think it contributes to a good story. Like for me it got to the point where he, he's performing at the concert, and I was like, "Oh, okay, mate. I kind of interested to see where this is going." Yeah, that song was dope. It was. Oh, it was, it was that concert. Was that was the least interesting part to me. <laughs> so we, I feel like we're just so like to me, that was the only boring scene in the movie when he's performing. The only boring so, scene. So, yeah, so I, I really tried to like look at this and look at the scenes and and try and try to think. Okay, is there something in here I can really enjoy? And every scene to me played out like this. Meandering, a little bit of plot, more meandering, cut to a scene which has no context to the scene before it, meandering about something that doesn't at all relate to the plot or the characters, which I guess is essentially the point of the movie but i just i i couldn't i every scene where (laughs) there was something that did intrigue me where i thought okay let's maybe this is going somewhere um particularly the part like in the apartment when they go to i think his name's walter walter's apartment and i was like okay well maybe he's gonna get like a big break or something or maybe he's just going to shut him down but it it turns into this really awkward awkward but I, again i guess that is the point but like walter gave he was so like monotone and just uninteresting and the characters around him were also equally as uninteresting and the majority of the conversations they had real well Yet they they were realistic. They just had I was not interested in them because there was really nothing I could 
truly relate to and what they were talking about. It was like, it was like the a solid hour of this movie was like watching an inside joke you're not in on, and I was very. That's a, that's a good, it, it good was, way to put it. Yeah, it it was definitely it was boring. I'm so, I, I I'm gonna I'm. That's one the harshest thing I've oh ever said on this, but yeah, I, wow. I was bored for. I guess uh, I'm gonna take that as a compliment I just... that I got Dane <laughs> to crack finally. <laughs> Dane's a tough nut to crack, and I did it. I literally wait. We can we can move on from this soon, crack. but um, Sam, I'm gonna let you talk. I just want. Yeah, just um, like I love you, Samir. <laughs> um, I think I obviously like after watching this, think much lesser of you, and I will be Venmo requesting you five dollars for making me watch this movie. I think overall, this is a character study for if you can find the beauty and the monotony in life, and I think I am specifically someone who doesn't find any interest in the monotony if the full if the full purpose of the film is to show the beauty in a monotonous life. And that's just kind of, I think you could argue either way if this movie is good or bad, but it really comes down to, will you find the interesting, uh, will you find the beauty in the monotony? And I think I and Dane, at least, I don't know if I can speak for Corey, but I can speak for probably me and Dane in that we don't really find that all that interesting and that's fair i think the bottom well, I mean, line and i want to say this too yeah if there's one thing this movie did do for me samir and this is what I'm, I'm looking forward to is i this will not be my last mumblecore movie it was my first and i know a lot of people consider it sort of the peak of the genre which kind of scares me but um it won't be my last mumblecore it won't be my last andrew bojowski because i actually i like this endeavor i like this intention um i'm very fascinated by it when I look at his other movies, something like Computer Chess jumps out to me as like an interesting com- premise. Um, the same goes for Support the Girls, which is a movie I've been meaning to see for forever, actually. Um, and, and Funny Haha, I've always heard good things about. I'm not maybe I won't like any of these, and we can revisit it then. But already, just in reading their descriptions and in knowing what I know about them, there's a hook, right? This movie resists hooking you. It's its sole purpose. Like in that in that sense, I <laughs> can see why it's considered the face or the peak of the mumblecore genre. Because its literal only intention is to hold up that genre's like you know, and like realistic ambitions, and just say this is what we're all about. Uh, this is what you should be impressed by, and nothing else. It doesn't want to have a hook beyond that. Whereas I'm hoping, and I'm, it seems like some other movies within the genre uh, just might. So yeah, yeah, make your guesses. I guess Corey already. Yeah. So like I said, uh, I I think this movie was for me. Uh, just because I do think, whereas Sam is very obsessed with character motivation and, um, you know, just like feeling That's like right, there's some sort of narrative structure. And, um, yeah, this just isn't, a, it's not a, it's not a, it's, it's it clearly wasn't a me movie either. So it's not a Dane movie. But I do think that, it, Samir, you might have thought, for me at least, that there would, that I would have some sort of appreciation for the, the unique approach to the to the writing and the dialogue here. Again, I think I appreciate it. I didn't enjoy this. Do you mutually movie. appreciate it? Is there a mutual appreciation? No. no. I, don't, I hope that, you know, it's not coming from my end, so it's almost certainly not coming from, from the okay. movie's end. Uh, but again, I'm looking forward to maybe checking out other movies in the genre. Good points. I think it was for me. I'm glad that I at least got you interested in that. And hopefully you can at least kind of, or at least like all of you guys can understand like what I may see in it, if anything. Because I kind of knew off the bat that like it's going to be 3v1, like you guys fucking hated it. But like, at least I tried to like make that so that 
you can kind of see it from my perspective at the very least, which I hopefully can be right. Yeah. And wait, and real quick before we you guys so put in your I, guesses, Bronson or mutual appreciation? <laughs> oh, Bronson. Dude, so I, I, Sam, no, do so not I, let me down so on this. Sam, Sam, Sam. No, no. So Samir, I like. I've said it. Like, I think you're very attractive. Like, I would Sam, date you. Sam, like, are you could... kidding me? He was Samir, literally just I went yelling. Into letterbox. Samir, Samir, I went into letterbox and changed Bronson to a one and a half rating, <laughs> and I gave this a one star rating. I, like, Damn. I realized, I realized Bronson, even though Bronson fucking falls flat on its face and is fucking horrible in every way, and, and by no means is a good sign that Corey has good taste, like, this movie is, <laughs> I just can't describe how, how little I enjoyed this movie. This is, this was the closest... I honestly, Bronson, I almost stopped watching halfway through, but this movie, I was legitimately going to text Corey, like, wh- how does the second half to end? Because I just don't care. That, um, well, the thing is, I think that's the Bronson is inviting you to maybe dislike it. Bronson's kind of giving you like this big fuck you and being like, look how crazy of a bonkers of a movie I am. Mutual appreciation is dumb enough to think that you're going to like it and stick with it. <laughs> it's very it's very hard to do i because it's so weird like everything you guys are saying like the movie ended and i was like i wish that was 40 minutes longer <laughs> and like your take was that like i wish you know this movie should have been 40 minutes shorter no, which hey i mean we could go back and forth about it but sam let me just say you broke my heart right now because i know how much you hate bronson because we had similarly talked right after you had watched bronson he'd facetime me he was like I I don't I, I don't get this movie, um. So I feel a little betrayed right now, but I'm okay. There's no Who do you think this movie was for? I just want to say I just, just want to say on the record how much they hate that person's movie. On on the record, I just want to say on the record, I didn't give it a one and a half stars. I gave it a one star. I think Bronson is an absolute fucking dumpster fire. I think, I think Bronson is a half star, bro. That's a half star. Fires. That's like a no to half star for me. But yeah, who, who do you well, think the movie's for? <laughs> What's your I guess? I think this on one's it? obviously so for Dane. On. Yeah, yeah. This one's obviously for Dane. Um, I think it's brimming with action from start Dane. to finish. Oh. Um, the superhero okay. motifs hit throughout this movie. Um, the good That's... vanquishes evil. Oh, at the he's end. being ironic. So. <laughs> I hope you had okay. gotten at the first mention of Dane that I was being ironic. Yeah, bro. I uh, this one's obviously for Corey. Yeah, that's whenever I was watching it, and kind of like the honestly, whenever I think about the whole mumblecore genre in general, I Corey didn't have too much to say about it, so I I, I thought that he probably didn't know too much or had have seen too many movies in the genre. So think going into thinking about it, I was like. Before I had watched the movie, I was like, okay, I feel like if any, if someone's here, if someone here is going to be entered into the mumblecore or trying to find a weird, like, subgenre of movie or finding something that could be appreciated in this movie, it's going to be Corey. And then I started watching it and I, I was like, this can't be for me because it's not flashy, visuals aren't there. Like, those are the things that I absolutely love in a movie especially well when it's coupled with great characters and uh world building and for sam uh sam i know exactly uh his taste in in movies i think we all do at this point so yeah i thought it was for Corey also 
Okay. All good guesses. Dun, 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 dun. Let me Okay, let me start by saying even though I have rebellious thoughts, I consider myself a pretty traditional guy. So I stuck with tradition here. And to blow all of your minds, this movie was actually this for was not Dane. For... It was for Dane. No, it and wasn't. Yes, it was. And let no me way. let me tell you why. Let me tell Dude, you why. Shut up. I'm yes, shocked. It... Shut up. I, is that so funny? Because everyone was like, I know it wasn't for me. I know it wasn't for Dane. Um, and that's why I started laughing when you said Dane. You know I was like, Dane's oh my. Positive and you thought he would give this the longest lead? So, so Sam was like, I know, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely for Dane. I was like, damn, how did he get it? I thought it'd be like a surprise. But then he was being ironic and I was like, oh, okay. Um, but Dane, okay. So chiefly what? for one, both of the kind of most negative movies that we've discussed uh like both Bronson and uh Brazil I guess it's something in all all of us that recognizes your positivity so I wanted to at least see if you'd give it a chance but that's that's a minor reason the major reason here is because you had talked about and you hit the nail right on the head um I think out of these two you had the most mumblecore exposure um, like you talked about liking Creep or um, even Creep 2, which I guess you saw more recently. But I figured that maybe like if you had liked Creep, you had seen more Mumblecore. Um, and the other thing is that, I don't know, like I know you said that like you like like obviously world building and flashy stories. And while that may be true, I think that like, I don't know, I tried to pull something like, oh, maybe I know Dane better than Dane knows Dane. Where <laughs> I was like, maybe there's... Maybe there's something else that he likes in movies that I know we're always like kind of like memeing and we're always like, oh, Dane likes, you know, all this. But I feel like I was like, hmm, maybe maybe like Dane is also kind of sucker for that, like kind of super hyper realism dialogue. Um, so I tried to. Hey, it was a gamble. It was it was what it was. It was I'm that aunt that gets you like that Christmas gift that maybe you'll like, like a terrible <laughs> video game that maybe this kid will like. but. Um, Listen. Clearly, clearly, I did not succeed in that, but I definitely wanted to try it out, and that backfired on me completely because I got Dane to crack finally. Yeah, I got him well, to be the most so, negative he's ever been. <laughs> so, as I said, I can't appreciate the very mundane dialogue in this. I don't think it's interesting, and and ultimately, I I just didn't think the the plot itself, if for me, if there if there was one, um, was was all that interesting. I mean, with with creep, like I said, there there is like a genre, not necessarily genre, but there's there's a goal to the movie. Whereas with mutual appreciation, I I could not find that goal. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, let's go to the next one. Okay. Um. Next movie, a separation. Um. So, let me just say that. The next two movies, you know, Did I you write a speech to... for this one too? <laughs> no, I don't have a speech for this one, but I'm gonna just say that so um, these these next two, the way I picked it was that like the two kind of safe bets I wanted to make foreign films when you did and when you did want the sweet reprieve of English language, I didn't want to make it easy and have that be Thanks, a torturous experience. But I I like this movie a lot, and I know Corey said um this was on his list for a while, and even the salesman. Um, so interested to hear what you guys think. And if you did end up liking it, I mentioned this at the end, but I really recommend the salesman because 
the main character or one of the main characters is the main character in the salesman and that's a fantastic movie almost was going to put the salesman after a separation but Wait, like, like the actor movie. is or they're connected i think like, no 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 the actor um shahab uh, Hosseini, okay. who's like the i guess he's like closest thing to the antagonist of this movie so but is there an antagonist oh. all good well, discussion points well, yeah. no there's not but i just i samir i'd like to start and say of all the movies you recommended this is the most you i like i think this movie and and the reason why i say this is oh my god that sounds horrible now i'm listening in my head that i said the one movie about the middle east was the most <laughs> but i was but what no, i meant it's... was that <laughs> what i meant was this movie sam like everyone in this movie just looks like just looks like you <laughs> no i i get what he's saying i, I definitely really do. reminds me I, what I'm saying is this movie is one of the best screenplays that I've watched in a very long time. And as we know, Samir is a big fan of screenplays. It is, it is one of the main things he looks for uh, when he's watching a movie. And in terms of sharp dialogue, great pacing within the dialogue, this movie is impeccable in that sense. I will say, after I watched this movie, I was I was blown away. But Corey had a comment while we were talking about this movie that really did make me kind of sit back and rethink this movie as a whole, which is, this would be the best play ever written. Like but I don't know... At least you, you attributed me. Yeah, but I did a tribute. But I'm also going to say I said that before Corey said that. So now <laughs> I'm actually not. I have a record. It. We don't, we don't, now I'm not got to worry about that. <laughs> yeah, don't post the screenshots, please. I would say <laughs> this movie doesn't do a whole lot as a quote unquote film. Like, there's not anything all that visually striking about this film, not, not particularly great cinematography not particularly great score. Like, there's very much an absence of score in both mutual appreciation. There is a score until and the end. There's, until the, the final, the actual final scene is the only time there's music in this film. For Which me, is a though, choice. That could be a valid choice in and yeah. of itself. So, so I just want to say, before we go on to uh, what others think, that I don't give a shit if this succeeds as, quote-unquote, a film. I think the screenplay and... I mean, we'll talk about it, but the acting is just, like, unfucking worldly in this. Like, regardless of what you think about this movie as a film, the acting is impeccable. Like, everyone is so good. Payman Maudi is so good. Layla Hatami is so good. Um, My boy, Shahab Hosseini, man. He steals the show. Yeah, yeah, Shahab Hosseini is, is also fantastic in it. Um... I, I am one person that, that can absolutely overlook several things in a movie if the script and the plot and the characters are good and a separation succeeds and those three things with flying colors. I thought this movie was absolutely fantastic. I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, I also, I did really enjoy this movie. Sam touched on like the cinematography and I think in... In a weird sense, that's where the movie falls short, but I don't necessarily think that was the movie's like main focus. Definitely, it was the, the drama between the characters. Um, so I kind of felt at times like I 
was in a very repetitive situation, whether it be in their uh, apartment or what I, I'm assuming is like a type of uh, jail or, or courthouse. Uh, things kind of repeat. Yeah, yeah, things kind of repeated in that sense. But with that aside, like you said, the performances are just they're so realistic um and just honestly so emotional and for me like the emotional anchor truly in this movie is uh, uh is it uh Tar- Tarma yeah Tarma yeah Tarma yes exactly Tarma. she does Tarma. such a great job and in really expressing like the turmoil between both families because throughout the movie she's carrying this weight of her own family's uh and her parents separation and them going through the divorce also her dad lying to her but even then she still finds the decency in herself to go out and play with the daughter of the fa- of the other family and she was just so so connected to everyone's emotions throughout the entire movie and i i felt for her so much especially towards the end when she's multiple scenes where she's crying and she has that conversation about where she asked her dad if she had lied about if he had lied about hearing the conversation about uh is uh, the pregnancy yes, being pregnant and yeah so i i again like i thought all the performances were amazing and the ultimate reveal that spoiler the miscarriage was caused when she went out to go try and get the grant the grandfather just playing into the fact Great that reveal. she really was trying to do good. She was trying to do her job. So there's just so much conflict as a viewer watching it, trying to think, well, who's in the right in this situation? And I thought that was the brilliance of the movie was really trying to, as a viewer, fi- figure out who the protagonist was when really there, there wasn't. Yeah. So, so I agree with what Sam said at the top. This was definitely the most Samir film out of the three. Um, I couldn't the whole time Samir, I was thinking about the playwriting course, honestly, because and that is that is why I said to Sam what I said is that this this truly was the best play I've ever seen. It was in terms of the way melo the, the way the drama builds, the way stories converge, the way different perspectives are treated. Um, it's everything you would expect a piece of theater to do and it was everything that i felt that that um i learned in the playwriting course i took a pit it, it was a it was a master class in that in that kind of of story structure and 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 dialogue and and the performances backed that up everything about it was amazing i i hope there are stage adaptations of a separation out there because they would be absolutely fantastic as a movie it it just didn't quite do it for me and it, it highlighted something to me that i didn't really know before but it's it is that it's that there's a gap between um, what a script does as a play and what it does as a film. I think I mean you know like like there are a lot of you know we we used to open the show talking about Augustine adaptations. Clearly, uh, you know there's a there's ability to translate between the two and that you can do it with success. But I just felt like with a the separation, there's nothing in here that justifies its existence as a film. Any piece of art needs to justify its existence as that medium. I think that's really important to, you know, if you're even if you're something as simple as, oh, I chose to be a TV show as opposed to a film or vice versa, you need to justify why you chose that medium. I this is how I feel. And I, the only other Osgar Farhadi movie I've seen before is a 
Todos Los Saben, which he did. Oh, it's yeah, a that's Spanish. a misstep. And now, yeah, that wasn't a very good film. But even there, I felt like it felt potential. But I, and I had a similar criticism where I was like, he really develops melodrama very well. It's a very melodramatic film, which I think you guys know melodrama can be kind of hit or, hit or miss for me anyway. Sometimes I feel like um, I, I, I'm, I'm very wary of trying to make your audience like, you know, early pounding your audience. I don't think he, he pounds the audience here the way he actually kind of does with um, Todos Los Saben or Everybody Knows. Here, though, he's just... Yeah, so a core premise of this movie, a core tenet of it, is this notion of different perspectives. I agree. There's no antagonist or there's no true antagonist in this movie. That's really cool. And that's because there's these central events that have different perspectives and that we're kind of supposed to try to suss out whose perspective is more valid than the others. The problem is that there's nothing in the language of the film that treats these events with any notion of, of, of like multiple perspectives. So like the, the push in the stairwell is, is really a crucial moment. But the movie is, and, and again, being understated is a choice, but this movie is understated to the point where that moment just, just passes like it's nothing. And all of a sudden, the entire weight of the film is now supposed to be built around it. And I got no, there, I got no sense of how this person experienced it, how this person experienced it, how this person saw it, how this person saw it. And yet there's at least four or five characters we're supposed to be really keyed in on as far as how they experienced that moment. I really thought, like watching this movie, I really thought, that they were going to have a scene because they, they had all these red herrings in the film about the dot, like the little daughter of um, the, the maid who was um, the whole situation happened. I really thought at one point they were going to show her memory perspective of her mom getting that's pushed. That's a cool idea. And I, and I really and that's thought great. That's film. I was doing that I was, with you. I, I, doing something that film I, does. I did That's think awesome. that they I'm were going to do that too. Like, they even hinted at it when she said about her mom going to the doctor and I was like, she's going to be the key to figuring yeah. this out. Um, but yeah, which, Corey... Which was so exciting and and but it just never it never revealed that. So it, it turns into, in a separation, every plot, every big plot reveal is said in dialogue. Um, there's no other way in which plot plot is moved on and that i think that speaks to why dane might have found it a little repetitive because there's so many conversations you can have between the husband and the wife where you know new information is revealed where it's like after a while you just kind of have to show me that it happens like that that the plot yeah. is getting shown visually so what's your thing i will say um you know appreciate like i think everyone kind of said their piece or most of it at this point. The main criticism, if I'm understanding correctly, seems to be that it doesn't utilize on the powers of film enough. Um, but what the counterpoint that I do want to throw in is that I actually think that it is a very visual film and there's a lot of visual metaphors going on throughout it. Like it's called a separation and there's repeatedly characters that are separated by glass ceilings or by glass walls or by furniture um, and other things I'm thinking of that I remember when I first watched it at the same time, like that was kind of my feeling, even though I really liked that. Like I really, like I was naturally kind of, I'm biased too because I like that in film where it's like so carried by like the energy of the story and like everything that's going on that, and I actually think like, I don't like flashbacks in movies particularly that much because I think that they kind of like, like break the flow a bit. Um, film, I mean, I, I agree. Like a flashback isn't always the right answer, but film is is nothing else if not a succession of images 
which means that it there's like a temporality of the film. There's there's a, there film and time are always in a relationship with one another. That's why like people make fun of Christopher Nolan movies, and it's easy to do. But Christopher Nolan knows that time is essential to movies. Like his movies are all about time in one way or another, and you can't tell a story on film without engaging with the notion of time in some way. Whereas, and like just because your movie's told linearly doesn't mean you're not doing that. But a separation, which is which could very much be about uh, moments and how we see them and how we remember them. It's all there to use film the way that film can be used. And I just don't think that it does at all. Samir, what did you, what did you think about like the visual metaphor thing that he was describing? Cause that's well, something I, that I, even I was, I was, gonna, I was gonna bring that up. Yeah. So for me, I, I picked up on it, but it wasn't until the very last scene. Um, where she's sitting on the other side of the hallway right after the or their daughter was deciding which parent they wanted to go with and the mother is on the back side of the glass and the father is on the front side of the glass both on opposite sides of the screen and i was like oh well they're actually separated in this image so then i started to think about that and ultimately like for me the biggest thing that i thought about was the fact that they kept the grandfather like in the room by himself or in the bathroom which is where he spent like a lot of the movie so like that that provoked itself to me um but then i do think yes i i appreciate that i'm a sucker for like for a kubrick type visual storytelling in the sense that there's symbolism in sh- certain shots but I do still think that there was like that repetitive nature to it where they're they were going back and forth from the house in the court in the prison or courthouse and it I don't know, it, it, it flowed well, but overall I thought like I was watching this the same the same scene for a solid like fifty minutes. But I I, I definitely I definitely do see the visual med- metaphor you were talking about a, a side question that maybe one of you can answer just a counter question here i am playing devil's advocate but like if you have a movie like <laughs> marriage story like how does that utilize the capacities of film like Corey it's talked just, about that actually when we were dis- we were discussing we were discussing this movie and i Corey's probably better to talk about this because Corey actually no, wait, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought story. that up because Marriage Story is a great comparison, at least in terms of the opening scene. These, I, I, I mean, Noah Baumbach probably watched a separation and wanted to copy its opening scene for Marriage Story because it's kind of identical. It's two, it's it's the couple pending a divorce going through a uh, like a, a meeting with a marriage counselor of some kind. Um, in a separation, I think it's more like a legal proceeding. But even so, I mean, again, it's not all about uh, flashbacks. And I do actually think that uh, I liked the opening scene in a separation more than I enjoyed a lot of the other scenes in the movie. But Marriage Story's opening scene does do something pretty cool. It it takes both of their perspectives and shows the moments that stick out to them from their marriage. So um, it you know they they each read their letter and it, we see like what they like about the other person, what they remember, what they dislike about the other person what they don't really appreciate, uh, you know, or moments they don't really want to remember or whatnot. So we're getting from the get-go that there are two clearer perspectives here. Like, a separation, again, it's it's it would make an amazing play 
we're getting two very clear characters. Like I think they that first scene sets up their characters really well. You get a clear sense of who they are and what they're all about, and the acting again really brings that out. But we're not understanding their um their their memories or their or their perspectives on their marriage, and that colors the rest of the film. There's no sense of perspective coming from any anywhere but the dialogue. Which again, if it's coming all from the dialogue, that's probably because it's a play. It's it's not a movie. Yeah, I think we t- we touched on it already, but the idea of there being no antagonist or protagonist in this movie, the closest we get to a protagonist is uh Tehran or Ter- whatever her name is, the daughter Termaine. Uh, she like. I that like I'm a big sucker and I, this is why I think the movie was for me um is because I'm a big sucker for the no protagonist and no antagonist storyline. I think a lot of movies nowadays are very they lack nuance in terms of an antagonist and protagonist where especially like I mean I don't want to shit on superhero movies every episode, but I'll continue to do so. Um, like superhero movies to me lay out in general, there's obviously exceptions, but they lay out a very, the good, the good guys are very good. The bad guys are very bad. And going through this movie, you think that there is a clear antagonist. Like there's this guy who's being a dick. He's obviously extorting the other family. Like he seems like abusive. And then you get at the end the big reveal that he doesn't have the full context of the situation and he was just acting under how anyone else would, which is his his child was killed and he wanted to know how it happened and he wants justice. Um, and I think I really can't think of many other movies. It's funny that we talked about Marriage Story already because I think that is another movie that does the no antagonist protagonist uh storyline really really well um but yeah i i'm just a huge sucker for how how that plays out and i think anyone's it's anyone's gripes aside this movie really nails nuance uh which is which again that's like pretty common i think that's a pretty common theater trope tell me if i'm wrong samir but i feel like that's pretty common in a lot of plays is this notion of uh like you know moral gray area yeah i mean which is it's, which is it's, interesting that I don't think it's very prominent in cinema. Exactly. Currently. That's yeah. that's the one like that's the so like it, it is common in in plays, I guess, because you just have the characters. But I think it's something that definitely should be a lot more prominent in movies and it isn't. Um it's prominent in T V shows because they have more time to explore things like nuances and character. But I think that, you know, for movies, um, because sometimes they get caught up in like other visual tricks. They, I mean, honestly, even that's not an excuse because the best movies do honestly portray characters that are complicated. Um, and I can definitely name a few, but I think this movie is like such a rare gem. Um, and it's one of those things that you should see a lot more, but you don't. Just like the sound, like a sound of metal, where it's just kind of like you see the movie and you're like, I wish I got this more ultimately getting to the end of this discussion like why i definitely thought it was for sam was because of how strong the the characters are written how amazing all the performances are and overall like it definitely was a character piece whenever it boils down to it and 
for for all the characters. I mean, all the characters are pretty well developed, well acted, and that's ultimately, like I said, why I think this was for Sam. Yeah, I agree. I think it was for Sam too. I mean, again, character motivation is really strong. Drama builds very clearly. I think those are two things that Sam really looked for in a movie. Um, it was this was even more so. I mean, obviously the last one wasn't for me, so what do I know? But Whereas I felt pretty confident about my other predictions, this is the 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 prediction I felt the most confident about. Yeah, um, and to kind of close this before I reveal who it was for, um, you know, I I definitely I guess like I I re I really like that everybody picked up on that like psychological moral gray area aspect of it, and I'm really glad that at least you found it to be an interesting movie. Like I know we found the last movie to be really boring, but like. Uh, hopefully at least for this movie like you stuck with it from beginning to end like kind of at least when i was watching it this was like a nail biter like gripped to my seat because of like the tension the palpable tension in it um did you feel that yeah at least to some extent yeah, maybe I did, yeah. I did, yeah sam i know i know sam did Corey, what were your thoughts on like just it like yeah, watching I it just passively that... as like an entertainment yeah. type i agree i want yeah i want to make it clear that i i, I enjoyed watching this movie i thought the ending was fantastic i thought the first scene was, was was strong and i do i agree that the 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 central drama is really interesting and exciting and, and attention grabbing i just again i just felt like it's a relationship to the movie this movie did win the oscar in 2011 yeah it would have been over best picture winner the artist which is fine but it also would have been over the descendants oh <laughs> shit Oh, I think this oh, is a better fuck. movie than, the, than the Descendants. I'll say that. I I enjoy oh, yeah. this movie more than the Descendants. Um, yeah, and you you all know by this point in the podcast how much I enjoy the Descendants. But I I do think this movie is better, and um, I'm I'm not just saying that because I I just I, making sure you know. Yeah, yeah, I know you had to. Um, but anyways, yeah, this movie was for Sam just because I know how much he likes stakes. I know how much he likes motivations, and moreover, based on how much he's enjoying The Sopranos, which I recommended him, um, he he really likes that sort of like core family drama at its emotional core, um, and for all those reasons, and despite like the fact that I think Sam saw Marriage Story on a plane and he started crying, Bro. it's pretty hard to make plane movies make you cry. I was previously <laughs> crying this, on my like, plane. The screen plane. Am, I right Am I right on that? Yeah, dude, I was fucking yeah. on a United flight, so bawling my eyes out. It was so bad. Yeah, and your your hot take, I think the hottest take Sam has ever had is that he thinks Marriage Story is better than Parasite, which is fighting words. Um, I think we we discussed that on another pot, like on another episode. But I think that take was enough for me to understand. Whoa, this dude really likes Marriage Story. Let's show him Marriage Story or a version of marriage story as it's experienced in another culture and the sort of grief that kind of is tied into cultural dynamics as well as just like really good writing and you know whatever um so sam hope you liked it i'm glad that you liked it seems like you're entertained by it the most um Actually, I think Dane also really liked it, so I'm yeah, glad that no, Dane liked I, it too. I, I fucking, I, Samir, I oh. love this movie. I like, I want to make it very clear. I want to make it very clear. He texted me right after, so I'm glad. I very much loved this movie. I thought it was really good.
Yes, yeah, Samir, you know, since you're you're not, you know, you're it's your turn to present the movies, I feel like someone had to carry the mantle of of uh hating everything. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's I was dreading being positive for so long, which is why I wanted to do Saw instead of Secret Santa. Um, but I guess, you know, speaking of harshness and negativity and really just movies that just feel like they abuse you from start to finish, let's talk about Amores Peros. Um, before I, you know, let you guys have the floor, something I mentioned about myself last episode while we were talking about Perfect Blue is that, yes, I do love to be abused by movies in the sense that I love that kind of visual barrage and I'm so drawn to grittiness and darkness and when it's done right like if you have a movie like The Devil All the Time I feel like it's just dark to be dark and it's not doing anything with it but here when that realism is combined with that darkness and it very much like we were talking about evocation earlier I think this movie, like, I'm going to talk about it more later, but I think it really just does evoke the spirit of its surroundings and it captures the ugliness and the darkness. Um, and it does so in a very electrifying way um, where it's so entertaining throughout and it's gripping. It's hard to watch at times, but I think it's something that, like, you're watching like this where, like, um, you can't take your eyes off it, at least is what I felt. So um, This movie is directed by Alejandro Iñárritu, who's best known for at least uh to me for directing Birdman and the Revenant. Uh and right off the bat, Amoris Peros, I, I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure that's love and something with dog. And the tra- translation is loves a bitch. And yep, yeah. so right off the bat I was like, okay, let, let let's see how this movie plays with love. And then sure enough, dogs are all throughout this movie. And so then I, I started to look at it with a little bit of a double meaning, which, again, I love, like, symbolism and, and double meanings and things. Um, but, like, first off, this movie is so hard to watch between the dog fights and just the yeah. abuse that the characters go through. It's very gory, very violent. Um, but with, going back to the dogs, I mean, like, the dogs is kind of how I watched perspective-wise for much much of this movie and ultimately what boiled down to it is there's three stories that happen here in this film all different perspectives which have some type of relevance to a car crash that happens and dogs are featured throughout all three of these and i could not help but think about like dogs being man's best friend and that unconditional love i know i I know i was like that's where your mind went to yes well well not not in the first part but like towards towards the end of the movie i I was like i was like like coffee who is a dog that is featured throughout kofi um my bad who is featured throughout much of the movie and that's ultimately where my mind went so then i started looking at more of like the love relationships within the movie and they're all very different looks at at love which i also found very interesting but going off with just like my initial reaction to the movie is that i'm shocked that this was not for me because it was very i don't want to say fast-paced but it was very thriller-esque very engaging very um entertaining to me at least with its visuals and just what it overall was trying to do so 
uh, not to spoil my list at the end, but this was definitely my my favorite of the three. Overall, I, I and I do think that has to, a lot to do with Inuritu's directing in terms of just the visuals that he pulls off and the just guttural reactions in terms of just pulling in the viewer in this gut wrenching movie. So I, I yeah, I was I was very emotionally connected, whether it be to the characters or to just what was happening on screen, which at times was um, well unwatchable. I had to watch a lot of the movie like looking away with my arm over my eyes. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's just I just love the feel of it. Like the movie starts, you hit start. It's just like this shaky camera and like this guy yelling like "Cabron, puta pendejo!" and like he's talking to his friend and he's going into a car crash and it's just like you start at like ninety. Yeah. Like I feel like most movies like. They start at like 20. This movie starts at like 90. And it dips to 80, but it wavers between 90 and 80 most of the time. Um, yeah, that's that was yeah, my little... And Inuritsu is really Corey, good at yeah. that. Yeah, um, yeah Inuritsu is really good at that. I mean, Birdman's one of my all-time favorite films. I think The Revenant I'm not obsessed with, but I think it is a kind of a movie that's gotten a bad, a bad rap. I actually think it's a pretty impressive movie in and of itself. Um, and then I really love uh babel or babel i never know how to pronounce it which, yeah. which is kind of the point of, it's kind of the point of that it's kind of cool um but have, have you seen that samir by the way i haven't i that's the one that i've been like you know because it's supposed to be like a trilogy right like there's yeah no... so that's why i was cu- really excited to watch this is because that 21 grams and, and this and what is peros um are a, like make up like a spiritual sort of trilogy in which it's about movies that are about just like you know just like connecting storylines which like now that we we know this one's for me, it makes complete sense just because I love that shit. Like I'm obsessed with movies that um that you know like you know follow these multiple perspectives and 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 let them intersect. Uh, overall, I and this is not necessarily a knock on Amortis Pedros is I definitely preferred Babel or Babel, um and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts if you were if if anyone were to ever watch it. And the reason is this: so so what I find what I like about uh, that movie so much. Is that movie takes place on a global scale, which um is that that's not the reason, but it, it but it takes place on a global scale. And what I think that movie does very effectively is show how like institutional failures and just um have led to have led us all astray, and like we're all suffering as a result. Amortis Peros, everyone's a touch on it. Brutal movie to watch. Super hard movie to watch. Um, I really really liked it. I really did. Uh, I thought the middle sequence with the model and the dog being stuck under the floor was brilliant, even though that was probably the lowest. When you when you talk about the dips down to eighty versus ninety, that's probably like a, you know one of the bigger dips in the movie in terms of like the pacing. But I thought that that way it was brilliant. I love that whole sequence. I found a lot of the dog fighting pretty difficult to watch and maybe even excessive at times, but um, still in line with within Reach's goals. Uh, this movie, though, is just the reason I, I say I prefer uh, Babel is the message of Amortis Peros is so bleak. I mean, this is the bleakest movie I've ever seen. Like, like if, if Amortis Peros is saying uh, or if, if Babel is saying that institutional failures have have led us all to suffer, Amortis Peros is just basically saying humanity is suffering and, uh, and it just breeds mm-hmm. more suffering. And that's like, I mean, like, and there's if no that's right... true, that's a fascinating Yeah, topic, which is where but... I kind of fell into the motif of the dogs is just like these dogs yeah. are the only yeah, things exactly. in this movie that truly love 
someone. They they're the only thing that loves. Yeah, and he, and, he, and we've even turned them into exactly. monsters. I mean, we've turned like we like Kofi becomes a monster who kills all the other man's dogs that he loves so much. And um, I mean, I I will say like, I'm going off on a tangent. I know the old man is definitely the best yep. character. Okay. I I love the way he's able to forgive Kofi for that and and like still show love to the dog. He's the only character in this movie even remotely capable of of love and uh and respect despite having hurt a lot of people in his past. Uh, and I, I love that. I I really do appreciate his his storyline for that reason. But yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. It's like if 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 it is true that humanity breeds suffering the way Inuritu kind of suggests in this movie, it's like where do we go from there, dude? Like that. It's just. I, well, so that I, maybe I'm just willing to to admit it, but it's it's really bleak. It's very very yeah. upsetting to to wrap and, yourself in this movie. And the fact is, like, I think a central tenet of this movie and what makes it so hard to watch is that there is no rhyme or reason for suffering that happens to people. Like, suffering just happens to the model for absolutely no reason, like, wrong place at the wrong time, and there's no discernible happiness she can take from it. Like, it is... I honestly don't love that this movie is structured in three parts. I would have rather had it all intersect all throughout the entire movie together. Which he, he does in Babel, and I agree that also yeah, is more effective. Because I find, I frankly find the second part of this movie, Corey said he liked it. I frankly didn't like the second part of this movie at all. I find part one is, I very rarely use the term problematic, but part one is, it would you would not get away with how they film it nowadays, with how graphic they actually have the dogs hitting and biting each other which they say no harm was done to the dogs. I have a tough time believing that. Yeah. At least psychological damage to the dogs. And then yeah. I don't want to get, I, I don't think we should get too deep into this, but the main, I don't even know if he's a protagonist in the in the first section, but he is... Guy Garcia Bernal's character? Yeah, like he's just, like, we'll just say creepy for the context of this episode i he's pretty hard to watch i think by far the third part of the third part and the ends the end shot are the best parts of this movie i think that is the most interesting like his his uh voicemail to his daughter i think is the most gripping part of this movie it's very similar to paris texas if you guys have ever seen it um with harry dean stanton um I think I think the third part is is fucking awesome, and I frankly had wished that had been the majority of the story because he's not very prominent. He's until an hour and forty five minutes into the movie. Yeah, I mean that's I mean yeah, like that that's all valid. Um, weirdly enough, like I again like you know. I was not a huge fan of uh, Here I Am, you know, being negative for my own movie. But I think, you know, to give credit where it's due, I also was not a huge fan of that, like, tripartite structure. I don't really like that in movies. Um, that's kind of what leads some people to call this, like, the Mexican Pulp Fiction. But, like, I definitely disagree with that title. Dude, um, I, was, uh, I, was, I was wondering if we were going to bring up how similar this kind of, like, this, while I was watching, I was like, this is not exactly like Pulp Fiction, but this feels kind of like a Tarantino with its, like, with how they structure it in the three parts. So that is interesting. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't thought that. about that. I, that. 
that's an interesting comparison, but I don't think that does either movie justice necessarily. Yeah, I, I definitely still disagree with the title of Mexican Pulp Fiction. But interestingly enough, um, you know, I will just say that I definitely found one of these storylines the most interesting that I almost wanted it to be the film, and I didn't care as much about the other two. And that actually was the first storyline because I think that despite, like, obviously, like, the character, it's hard to watch. It's the hardest story to watch out of all of them. Um, but I'm most interested by the human relationships in these, like in that storyline, especially between the brothers and like the concept of like betrayal and love and like just being a completely downtrodden person psychologically by the end of it. Um, I was like, I found that to be most prominent in the first, um, movie. Also, this is like, I should note a bias when I have it. Y Tu Mama Tambien being one of my favorite movies of all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and like obviously Gael Gabriel, I'm forgetting his name. Yeah, I think Garcia he's a Bingham. crazy good actor. Yeah. yeah I think and he was so also in the he was like in the New New York Times twenty five best actors, which I'm glad that he got that nod. I agree. He's um, he is a fantastic actor. He's a fantastic actor. And I think if anybody else pulled that off, I wouldn't have bought into that story that much. But I was just so interested in the dynamic between the two brothers in that story. And obviously, like, the dog fighting being as um, as harsh as it was to watch, I think that, like, kind of, like, it, it tied well into the relationship that the three characters have, the brother's wife, the brother, um, and the two brothers. And I was just so, like, interested in that and, like, seeing that and, like, seeing the kind of psychology there, the character psychology there. Um, yeah, wait, this is, this is a small tangent. Samir, it's, 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 yeah, yeah go, go ahead. You respond to him, and I'm going to all share a story. Just, no, I mean, just, yeah, just real quick, just real, just real quick. It's interesting that you like the first part so much because it's also similar to another one of your favorite movies that you and I have briefly talked about, which is City of God. Yeah, um, I it's love very that similar. Movie. Yeah, yeah, it's very similar to the Brazilian movie City of God, which is if you guys haven't watched. Oh highly, my god! Highly recommend. I know. It's, it's all, I gotta board, watch it. recommend that to me as long as we've been friends. Yeah, it's yeah. So, man, City of City of God was definitely one of the first first foreign movies that and Itu Mama Tambien that I watched in high school that I was just blown away, like totally changed how You've I looked it. at movies. It's so yeah. insane that movie. Yeah, but yeah, that's definitely. I'm glad you brought that up because I think that is really why I'm so just kind of drawn to that completely like i don't know how to describe it but Corey, go ahead no this is isn't it all that even like that like a uh, substantive but it was just funny because um i watched this with last night with with my girlfriend like you know, we, we both put on at the same time like we were facetiming it was funny because i've been really meaning to watch on this espn 30 for 30 on michael vick right and i i asked her if she wanted oh my god oh i asked her if god. she wanted to watch it with me because i was just like i really wanted to watch it and she loved documentaries so i thought Ooh. she might still be interested anyway but she told me she didn't really want to watch it because she don't she didn't think she could stomach all the the dog fighting material oh no and I, was, I was like that's totally understandable Corey. no I, like that's totally understandable so i said i have to watch this movie for samir anyway if you want to watch more of Paris. i literally had no idea that i was about i was putting her through are you probably a worse i mean like i can't yeah. imagine it gets that oh, graphic in the mic so yeah, right. i mean i would this movie is probably worse than that documentary by yeah a I, I just thought shot. that was a funny like um, a funny happens i can't how, imagine how i possibly known because this is that's kind of the criticism of inuritu sometimes of just he's just like a director that just assaults you like you know he just 
tries to wear you down and wear you down. And some people find it to be just, you know, like I think I used the term when we talked about um, Beautiful Boy and Grave of the Fireflies, like misery porn. And um, some people, I mean, you could certainly criticize Amores Paradis as misery porn. I think it does enough, like narratively. And um, like, um, I found en- enough moments in it to appreciate that. Uh, I still think it's a, it's a good film. But uh, again, I, I actually would love for us to revisit the movie if you guys ever get a chance to see Babel. And, and I really want to watch 21 Grams. I haven't seen that. Just because I'd be curious to see how it, how we feel about Inuritu essentially trying the same thing, but with three different stories um, and how he changes that approach or, or whatnot. Because I, I, I think, like, this is, I mean, by the way, this is his first film. As a, this is a mind-blowing movie as a directorial debut. At the same time, I think it feels like a directorial debut. Just because I do think the, the like the bitterness of it and the sadness of it is not as maybe like, um, like complicated or complex as as like a more seasoned director would make it. But I again I think by the time he gets to Babel, uh, the third in the trilogy, he's sort of figured out what he's trying to say, and that's why I really appreciate that movie so much. So I'd be curious to put them in a conversation yeah, with each other. Yeah. Um. Real quick too, I, I mean I definitely did not think the movie was perfect by any means. Um. One of the things that I really did not like was uh well I, so the third like the three stories and how they all intertwine i think that was very interesting however i do think that he inuritu still like puts pieces of the other stories into the story that's being told so that was confusing <laughs> but um so like in the last part so like the last parts about the old man and kind of his journey of i don't even want to say redemption but like self-forgiveness almost but while this his story is happening you're still getting updates on the octavia and Susanna story so i often felt like that took away from each individual story specifically the end where it, it would cut back to um like i said the first story with octavio and Susanna. so i felt that was kind of distracting at times um where i i do think like the scene with him standing at the bus stop is is important i do think it really cut the flow of the final story of the old man uh, i think it was like el chivo um so so i do think that from a, a filmmaking editing perspective like there there definitely were some things in there that annoyed me to to a certain point i was just like why is it edited like this if it's supposed to be like a three-part story i guess i'm just like just really just drawn to like the raw raw energy of this movie like the raw electricity and charisma and like the only other movie that I can bring, it's so weird. Like I'm bringing weird movies into conjunction with these, like Uncut Gems. That's what I'm drawn to. When I think of Uncut Gems, I think of that like raw energy, like that boom, like that raw energy. And for this, like it's so high octane. And I I agree, it does dip in the bit to Sam's point with that, um, with the story about the supermodel, um, uh, where it kind of veers into like the melodramatic side. I think a little bit. Um, but it, it picks it back up with like the final emotional beat. Cause I think that's the most emotional story. The third part with the dad daughter relationship. And I'm glad that he like softened the edge a little bit with that. 
um, even though that is, that is a really interesting story in its own. And I was just going to say really quick, though, I think what this movie would have benefited from was just like a, a slight zoom out. Because like a character like, there's nothing wrong with, yeah. his, with his character. I think you could totally imagine why his upbringing and why uh, his life in, in Mexico City made him the way that he is. And yet the movie doesn't, like there's something there clearly with the first segment the second segment, the third segment, there's something there about class and how people at different levels of Mexican society, their lives are impacting one another. And that's all super interesting. And I think that's, I think that's technically what Inuritu wants you to take away from it. And yet I'm not sure it's actually like there in the movie just because it's so tightly focused in each of its segments uh, on the melodrama and on just like the absolute evil suffering that, that we're witnessing. So just, if it just took a moment like to take a breath and just zoom out a little bit, which might have again, I think, been been a that could have been a byproduct of maybe instead of doing like one one and one, uh, you know, cr- cutting between the three timelines throughout the movie, like Sam said earlier, I think that could have happened uh in that way as well. So yeah, it, it's really close this movie. It's really close to being a movie that I love, um, and it's not quite there, but um, I like again as a directorial debut debut, I like a lot of what what's going on here, and you got to be impressed that it's the dude's first fucking movie. Yeah. And like the the reason it was like I picked it for you, um, also is because I know you also really enjoy that like rawness in movies like that raw energy. Yeah, and I'm um, a I'm a big in your uncut gem seven times. <laughs> like that's those are those are some veteran numbers. And I think that like even in your other like the way you talk about some other movies too, like I picked up on like you also like both of us agreeing on that like just kind of like like I don't know how to de- describe it, but just that kind of unrefined quality. But yeah, I mean, we talked about three films tonight. We overcame a lot of technical issues. Probably <laughs> our most technically difficult episode yet. Uh, we're into the wee hours of the night. And here we are, almost at the end of our Secret Santa series. And before, and in this short time that I do have the floor, before I hand off the torch to Dane, who will tell us about his three movies for next week. I know I see him sitting there super excited smiling in his classic dane grin for which he won best smile if uh if i remember correctly did he actually? True? Yes, i did i no i, I won uh i won best laugh he won best yeah, laugh for but they go hand in hand <laughs> well um, we all know those rulings suck because i never won but yeah best sam twitter. didn't win best twitter i never <laughs> i never won best twitter uh even though yeah. it was i mean frankly the follower account speaks for itself. We don't have to get into Your it. bio was mediocre white man. <laughs> was it? Yeah, it was I mean, for like, like all a sophomore year. And that's like the basis of He's advertising like mediocrity. Like... Whenever you uh, were formulating it, you <laughs> mediocre. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if I had to if I had to speak about these three movies and give somewhat of a conclusive statement, I think you know, movies are movies are okay. I don't like them most of the time, but when they work, <laughs> they work. Um, and I'm glad that at least, you know, sometimes you watch movies that you don't really like, but a certain scene or a certain moment, it's like poetry, it sticks with you. And even if that sticks with you, like that in and of itself speaks to, um, you know, just something that you took away from it. So I'm glad that at least it seems like at least we had those moments. Um, well, I think, I think, well, real quick to continue with the trend of the episodes, we, should go around and rank what we true good call for each movie so uh for me number three mutual appreciation 
number two, a separation, and number one was Morris Peros. So yeah, I, I have the same ranking. Uh, mine was different. It was mutual appreciation third. It was Amaris Peros, number two, and a separation by far number one. Okay. My ranking is Amaris Peros, three, uh, mutual appreciation two, and a separation number one. Could you imagine if he had oh, a mutual appreciation number one? I think we all would have. Yeah, I would have left the call. Yeah. <laughs> no. No, I mean, I'm, I'm like, I, I like that movie, but it's not as good as a separation. I think that the fact that Amoris Peros is as sloppy as it is um, makes me want to put it three. But even though I do really like the first storyline a lot. Um, but, okay, so we've ranked our movies. We're done with the Samir segment. And we're turning a new leaf in this podcast by moving on to Dane Holtz. All righty, guys. So... Uh, Sam, I know, does not always necessarily love the choice in my movie. <laughs> there are very much a lot of times in a genre he does not appreciate. But I did not pick any superhero movies. Let's go. For my episode. Um, two of these movies I watched over the pandemic, and I was shocked that I had it had taken me that this long to watch them. But anyway, so the first movie for my list is Mystic River, which is a movie I had watched a while back, remembered enjoying, but I had recently uh, just watched it over the weekend just to make sure it had held up the way I thought it did. Um, I know you guys all haven't seen it, but the a lot of movies that I've uh, went through, very hard to find movies that you guys all have not seen. Um, my second movie... Going along with that is one that I know Samir has seen, but I have talked a, a lot about on this. I don't know how long it's been since you've seen this movie, but I, I definitely really, I really want to talk about it. And that's Akira. Yeah. And my final movie is another movie I talked about on here that I watched over the pandemic. And that is Sam Raimi's Evil Dead 2. So, yeah, do we do we need do we need to watch so Evil Dead that's one to that's get what Evil I was Dead gonna two. I was gonna say. So Evil Dead One really does not connect to Evil Dead Two. So essentially, Evil Dead One was the low budget movie that Sam Raimi made in order to try and get uh, his movie produced. He went behind studio back essentially to make this movie to make Evil Dead. Um. I do think having the context of the first Evil Dead in just the sense of what the movie was a trying was trying to achieve will be helpful. The movie's only like an hour and 17 minutes long. You guys could watch it, but also you could probably just watch like a 10-minute summary on the movie. Um Evil Dead Evil Dead 2 is also like the same length, so they're both pretty short movies. Um so yeah, that is my list. Mystic River, uh Akira, and Evil Dead 2. I'm very interested to see what you guys have to say about these movies. After? Give me a very different yeah, yeah. Uh, tone than tonight's episode. Yeah, I was going to say, if you, Samir going for all of the Depresso movies and Dane going the other way around and doing all the exciting I mean, ones, so. that's what you think, but wait till you see Akira. I don't know if I'd exactly call that a yeah. happy movie. 
I, I basically took inspiration from Sam picking Sound of Music. I was, or not Sound of Music. <laughs> sound, <laughs> sound of Metal. Um, so I made the exception that Samir has seen this movie. But like I said, it's one that I appreciate for a large variety of reasons. So I, I really want to get Corey and Sam's input on the movie. But yep, those are my three. No. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, that basically wraps up this episode, and I'm very excited to talk about my movies. Um, hoping to keep it fairly positive, as always. However, I am open to some harsh Samir and Sam criticism. But not Corey. And Corey. I feel like Corey was Corey. Corey. I, 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 I feel like Corey's criticism is a little bit more I love that I escaped that. Um, uh, <laughs> Whereas Sam, uh, yeah. where Sam and Samir are just mean. <laughs> Yeah. We're just assholes. Well, We're sometimes you guys choose. <laughs> Sam chooses men. not to like movies. Sometimes I swear to God. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, that concludes yeah, this episode, true. and I cannot wait to have a Dane-centric episode. So, uh, yay, Dane! Everyone, listen next week.